listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always." to the end of the age. This is God's word. You may be seated at this time. Well, again, I want to welcome you uh, this morning to the White Oak Faith family. If you are new or visiting with us, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, My name is James Yandel. I'm the discipleship pastor here at this church. And I think you'll notice, as I said before, that we are a church of imperfect people worshiping an amazing God. A God who changes our lives through his word and through our worship and as we submit to him. And I hope this morning you get a picture into what God has for you. This morning I do have a question for all of us though. Is there a social cause that you're very passionate about? I want you to think about maybe a cause, a social cause that you've donated to in the recent past or maybe you volunteered for uh, in the recent past or maybe you shared something on Facebook to raise awareness about this particular cause. Statistically, there's probably something that you're passionate about, right? There's something that you're interested in, some social cause out there in the world. And I think that's because our generation loves social causes, Millennials are like wired to hate politics and to hate institutions, but to love the social movements that try to influence politics and institutions. We love social movements. We love to have a positive impact and to impact social order around us. Let me give you a few examples of some very popular movements in our day, and they should be on the screen. You'll probably recognize some of them. One movement is the Black Lives Matter movement, right? And at the core, in its purest form, this movement seeks to create a world in which racism is no more. And then there's the Me Too movement, right, which seeks to create a world without sexual violence. There's the pro-life movement, which seeks to create a world in which unborn children have a chance at life. There's a clean water movement which says, you know what? Everyone in the world should have access to clean water. That's important. There are the dreamers and the immigration reform movement. And so people are saying, you know what? We should treat foreigners with compassion and with dignity and as if they're humans just like us. And of course, there's the Occupy Wall Street movement, which seeks to create a world in which money is not the indicator of our quality of life. And there's a lot more movements that maybe you support, animal rights movements or environmental movements. There's a lot of them out there. And what I love about these movements, I love a lot of things about these movements. And the first thing I love about these movements is they identify brokenness really well. These movements rose up because they identified a brokenness in society or a brokenness in the system, whether it's the political system or some other system. They recognized that and they rose up to meet it head on. 
also really like that these movements oftentimes can be very powerful. Man, I think about the Me Too movement and how it toppled a lot of people in Hollywood especially who probably thought that they were untouchable. And Me Too toppled those people. So these movements can be very powerful. And the last thing I really love about these movements is that they see the world for what it could be and they recognize we're not there yet. Right? These movements recognize that we live in a world in which we have brokenness and they're trying to move us in a direction to where that brokenness can be healed. So I like these movements. There's a lot of good things that are coming out of these movements. But, but if I'm honest this morning, I think that some of these movements have some fundamental weaknesses to them that hurts their ability to reach their goal. Let me share a few of those with you this morning. First, I think that these movements and the house that they're building, the tent that they're building, is too small. A lot of times these movements often divide people instead of uniting people, right? The tent that they build is small, and the people that they want coming along with them is not everybody, but just a few people. Number two, I think their tactics can often be divisive. Some of these groups are known for shouting down the opposition, Right? Essentially taking the voice away from people who disagree with them. And in some instances, these groups have actually been physically violent toward people who oppose them. So these groups can be very divisive. But the biggest problem this morning that I think all these groups have in common is that their ability to transform is limited. Right? They envision a world in which there is no racism. They envision a world in which there's clean water for everyone and there's no greed, no sexual violence, but their ability to transform society is limited. They can affect a politician or maybe they can change a policy here or change uh, this politician over here, but they cannot change the human heart. As long as the human heart is broken, we will have and continue to have these issues in our society. These causes have a vision But their ability to fully realize that vision is limited. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about another vision. A vision that God has for the world and what God is passionate about. You see, you and I are passionate about different causes. And I'm sure there's something out there that you are very passionate about. And that's important and that's good. But this morning, I want to share with you this fact that God is also very passionate about a cause. You see, God has a vision of a world united under the banner of Jesus. God has a vision of a world united under the banner of Jesus. So I want you to turn with me very quickly this morning to Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Revelation is the last book in the Bible, and I'm sure that it's probably not a book that you flip to pretty often, if we're honest here this morning. It's a confusing book. It's got a lot of confusing things into it. But at its core, Revelation is about what happens in the future. It's written by uh, the Apostle John. He was a follower of Jesus. And Jesus essentially gives him a vision for what's going to happen in the future. This is God's vision for the future. And I want to read us, uh, read this together with us today. It's Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9 and 10. This is what it says. It says, After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, From all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, which is Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, God has a vision of a world united under the banner of Jesus. 
That's what God sees, and that's what God is working toward in the gospel and through the church. And I think that this passage reveals some things about us and about the world. Number one, God is not interested in creating and building a kingdom where everybody looks like me. Right? I'm a middle-class white male, and God is not interested in building a kingdom that's composed completely of middle-class white males. God is looking for a kingdom of people from all nations. Secondly, God is not interested in building a kingdom of people who think just like you, who have the same political views as you do, who have the same cultural heritage as you do. God is interested in building a diverse kingdom of people unified under his banner. And I think as important as your cause is, and as important as my cause is, the cause of God trumps those things. And the reason the cause of God trumps those things is because in the gospel you find the end of all causes. Because when the gospel is being faithfully lived out, there is no injustice. When the gospel is transforming hearts and lives, there is no racism. And where the gospel is transforming hearts and lives, there is no sexual violence or greed. When people submit themselves and are transformed through the gospel, these things don't exist. But in fact, God's movement encompasses all movements that seek justice. See, the gospel is the most successful movement of all time. Right? We've got our movements, and they maybe are 20 years old or a century old, but the gospel has been moving for 2,000 years and even before that. The gospel appeals to all people, not just a subset of people. The gospel remains relevant in all periods of history and in all parts of the world, not just in America and not just in your neighborhood. The gospel crosses cultures, languages, political parties, country borders, and economic statuses. It meets the needs of not just one particular group of people, but offers freedom and hope to people everywhere. This is God's vision for the world. And if there's ever a cause to align yourself with and to support, I think that it should be the cause of God. And this morning, I want to help you see that global missions is the movement of God. If you look back in our Matthew 28 passage in verse uh, 19, it should be very familiar with you. You've been trekking with us over the past few weeks. Jesus says this to the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that term of all nations is really the term, the phrase that I want to zero in on this morning, because this really is God's heart, that he would reach all the nations with his love and with his glory. Global missions is about God building for himself a kingdom of people who are very diverse from all around the earth. And this has been true ever since the beginning. From Genesis to Revelation, God has been building a kingdom of people who are very diverse. As much as we like to talk about diversity here in America, the most diverse thing in the world is the kingdom of God. And I want to show you a little bit God's heartbeat this morning. So I'm going to put a few verses here on the screen. Please don't turn there because you're going to get frustrated because I'm going to go very quickly. Uh, But I'm going to read a few verses uh, that just reveal God's heartbeat. And there are hundreds and hundreds of verses in the Bible that reveal his heart for the world. But I just want to share a few you here this morning. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God says, in you, he's speaking to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
right? And so God is speaking to Abraham, and we know in the context that Abraham, ultimately through his lineage, Jesus would come through his earthly lineage. And here God's talking about the Savior of the world, and he says, in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Psalm 67 verse 4 says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 86 verse 9, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. This is the vision that the psalmist has, and this is what we read in Revelation, the fulfillment of this vision of all nations coming around and worshiping God because he deserves it. Daniel chapter 7 verse 14, it says, And to him, and we know from the context we're talking about the Christ, and to the Christ was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that not some, all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Luke chapter 2 verse 10 and the very powerful story, very well-known story of the angels talking to the shepherds during the birth of Jesus. They say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Lastly, Acts chapter 28 verse 18, the apostle Paul says, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Gentiles are just people who aren't Jews. FYI, you're a Gentile. So I love these verses this morning for two reasons. Number one is they show me unequivocally that when it comes to the kingdom of God and what God is doing, you're invited. It don't matter where you're from. It don't matter what socioeconomic status you live in. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person in this room or the poorest person in this room. It doesn't matter whether you're from America or not from America. You are invited into the kingdom of God. There are no restraints to God's kingdom. There are no barriers simply coming to faith in Jesus. You are invited, and no one can tell you differently. Number two, it's about God, not us. All of these verses are for our good. We, we are invited into the kingdom of God, and that's an amazing thing for us. That brings freedom for us, but it also brings worship to God, and that's ultimately what missions is about. John Piper, famous pastor, theologian, says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because there are places in the world in which Jesus is not glorified. So missions is about making Jesus famous in the places where Jesus is not famous. So there are places in the world where people are born, they live, they die, and their children are born, and they live, and they die without any hope in Jesus. The freedom that Lindsay was talking about, the hope that she was talking about, the joy that we feel in worship, they don't have that. That's why missions exist. Missions exist because there are places where hope is not available to all people. Missions exist because there are places where a church does not exist, and so people cannot come to the church to get their physical and spiritual needs met, just as you and I can do every single week. Missions is about feeling that need. So the Great Commission, what Jesus is saying, go forth and make disciples of all nations, basically what he's saying is there's a partnership between God and God's people to take God's hope to God's world. That's what the Great Commission is, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. But here's the problem. The task of, great, of global missions is not finished. 
the task of the Great Commission is not finished. So let's talk about that in a minute. But before we talk about that, I just want to take a pause and be like, I know for some of you, the first time you're hearing about this, right? I start talking about people in Zimbabwe and the Azerbaijani and the Zhuang people. And you're like, you know what, Jay? I'm just trying, to, just trying to live my life, trying to do my thing here, trying to serve Jesus in my own life. And if that's you this morning, I get that. I understand that. And there's a lot of grace when it comes to missions, right? There's a lot of grace when it comes to this. But my point here this morning is that we got to start somewhere, And for me, that started with a sermon. I heard a pastor preach a sermon on this topic. And you know what? God began to open my heart and my heart began to grow. And I went on a mission trip and then I went on a longer mission trip. And then I went on a longer mission trip. And then I ended up getting a master's in this topic because I'm so passionate about it. But the point is this morning, I hope that you can just say, you know what? I'm going to be open and I'm going to listen to see. Maybe God has something for me here. Not that I'm going to go overseas though you might, but perhaps my heart can be enlarged into this topic. So let's talk about that this morning. I got a map I want to throw up on the screen uh, here. Uh, We can throw the the map up on the screen. So this is a map sort of where the gospel has gone in the world. And this may be the first time you've ever seen a map like this. And so let me just explain a little bit, right? So you've got sort of three different colors. You have a green part of the world, you have a yellow part of the world, and then you have sort of red parts of the world. So let me explain what those mean. So the green parts of the world, green parts of this map, are places where the gospel has saturated into society. So it makes a lot of sense, right? There's a lot of Christians in America. America is pretty bright green. There's a lot of Christians. There's 1,500 churches in Houston, right? There's 1,500 churches in Houston alone, right? So America has huge saturation of the gospel. But you also may be surprised to find that in sub-Sahara Africa and in South America, the gospel is also saturated. In fact, there are more Christians outside of the United States than in the United States, There are more Christians in the global south than there are in the traditional west, in Europe and in America. And so that tells me that Christianity in the first place never was, and never is, and never will be primarily a white man's religion. Christianity is a diverse faith that appeals to all people. And so that's what the green parts represent. Then there are the yellow parts. And you see parts of Europe, uh, you see parts of Russia and of uh, former, former Soviet Union and different places like that. These are the places where, you know what, the church is very new or the church is very small in our generation and they're having uh, trouble sort of growing and getting people to, to, to come to faith in Jesus. And so these are the places where it's better than the red part, but not as good as the green part. And then there's the red part. You'll notice that the red part is very uh, uh, marginalized, very uh, put right here in the middle. It's like along the equator and uh, above sub-Saharan Africa, northern Africa, and in parts of Asia and in southwest Asia. These are the places where there are very, 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 very few Christians. In fact, uh, we use a term in missions to say unreached, and we say that a people is unreached if less than 2% of their population is Christian. And so in these places, we have people uh, who have never heard the gospel. 
And so that's why we as a church have been a part of this mission, this global mission to these places. And, when the pa- and within the past five years, we've gone to places like China to minister to people in the rural parts of China. We've gone to Laos. We've gone to um, Chad, which is in Africa. We've gone to uh, Thailand. We've gone to some of these different places in the attempt of sharing the hope of Jesus with the people around us and meeting the needs of the people there. So this is global missions. This is kind of where we're at. But I want to make a clarification here this morning. When you hear this word nation, go make disciples of all nations. Probably in your mind, you're probably thinking, you know what? United States is a nation. India's a nation. Um, China is a nation. But when Jesus uses this term, it actually means something a little bit different. He's not talking about a political entity. He's talking about people who share similar culture and who share a similar language and identify more closely to each other than to other people. So let me give you an example. So in the United States, right, we're, we're a united nation, we're one nation, and I bet everyone in here would probably identify themselves more or less as Americans, right? We're, we're a people group, we identify, we share a common language and culture, but there are groups in America that don't. One example, Native Americans consider themselves as something different. They have a unique heritage and a unique culture, and God desires that people out of those groups would come and worship him. Let me give you another example. In India, you'll find is one of the reddest places on the map. India is a nation state, but they have over 2,000 people groups within India. There are over 2,000 people groups, and these are people who have their own language many times, people who have their own cultural heritage, who see themselves as differently than the groups around them. Maybe they have a unique dialect or something like that. So in total, there are about 12,000 people groups in the world. And when we talk about missions and we talk about this unfinished task, there are about 7,000 people groups that we would consider unreached. 7,000 people groups who have maybe less than 5% or maybe less than 2% of the population is Christian. That's why we consider them unreached. So you may hear that and you, know, and you might say, you know what, James? We live in the internet age, right? Can't they just hop on the internet, check it out if they want to, right? How could there be that someone could not have heard about the gospel or would not have a church in their area? How is that even possible? Let's talk about that this morning. I want to talk about some obstacles to global missions. And the first one is language. Kind of makes sense, right? If I took you and dropped you in the middle of India, which some of y'all that would be a nightmare to you, but if I dropped you in the middle of India, you had no one around you, it would be very difficult for you to communicate where to go, let alone the gospel, right? Imagine trying to communicate the gospel if you don't know the language. So missions work is very slow because missionaries have to go out, live among the people for a while, learn their language, oftentimes translate the Bible in their language because they don't have the Bible in the same way that we have the Bible so they can share the gospel with them. And oftentimes this takes years and decades to fulfill. So language is a massive barrier when we talk about global missions. Number two, physical remoteness, right? This is like, you you think of your mind missions, you're probably thinking of like the tribe off of Papua New Guinea. You're thinking about people in the jungle. It's just they're very hard to get to. Maybe they're like Tibetan monks in the Himalayas. Uh, These are people, it's just hard to get to them. It takes a long time. It's expensive and it's hard to live among them. So physical remoteness can be a really uh, big barrier to missions. 
Number three, and this is probably the biggest one that we're seeing in the world right now, government oppression. You know how much we take for granted the fact that we can worship freely in this room? And man, there are places around the world where being a Christian is illegal. And there are places around the world where sharing the gospel is illegal. And so it makes it very hard to go into those places and to share the gospel. But you know what? That's not stopping God from moving. We're seeing amazing things happening in these places. Uh, Just the other day, uh, Sarah's parents, my wife, uh, they're they're in India right now on a mission trip. And we heard about them going to a village. And and they gathered all the people in the village square. There was about 40 people. And and her dad's there. And he's sharing the gospel. And they got a translator. And at the end, he says, you know what? Does anyone here want to have hope in Jesus Christ? And every hand was raised. God is moving in these parts of the world. His spirit is moving, but it doesn't mean that the work isn't difficult. And then the last, uh, or, or number four here uh, in terms of obstacles is social hostility, right? You see this a lot in the Middle East. Uh, you see this in India and other parts of the world where, you know what, they're, they're just not open. They're not receptive. They don't want to hear the gospel. We, we encountered some of this in China when we were going to some of the more rural parts to minister to the Zhuang people. They just don't want to hear it. Not interested. Just, just don't want to, you know, they, they don't want to think about it. And so there's a sort of hostility to the gospel. And so while God's vision will be accomplished, the work is difficult. And God is inviting us into that work. And again, I, I, I get it. You have your life. But God is calling you also to begin thinking about something more. So I want us to do just a little sort of hands-on activity this morning. I I thought of this maybe, this is kind of like when you have like your lab in college. You know, you got like the lecture and then you got the lab. This is the lab right now. So I want you to take out your phone. Take out your phone. I'm watching. I want you to hold it up once you got it up. Okay. And in order to do this, you're going to have to have your own uh, internet connection. I'm sorry. So if you don't have that, just look on your neighbor. So I want you to Google something. I want you to go to your phone. I want you to Google unreached people group. Unreached people group. Just Google that and uh, wait till you see the search results. I'll let you take a minute to do that. Just type in unreached people group. And I want you to find the search result that says unreached dash 100 largest Joshua project. Does everyone find that? Is everyone finding that one? one? Unreached 100 largest Joshua project. Click on that, and when you get to the website, you're going to see a list of the 100 largest unreached people groups in the world. And your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to pick one of those groups, maybe at random, just pick one of those groups, click on the link, and after my sermon's done, and during this week, I want you to learn about those people, and I want you to pray for them at least once. And say, so, you know what, James, I don't think that's going to do very much. But I think of 160 people gather around and pray at least once that God moves, that God hears that. And maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll be interested in these people a little bit more. That's how it happened with me, right? I started hearing about the Zhuang people in China. I started learning more about them. I started going to Chinese restaurants a lot more, enjoying the culture. And now I have a love for those people. So I hope this morning you'd take me up on that offer and learn about one of these unreached people groups after my sermon is done. So if you bring it back in a second, it's important for us to align our heartbeat with God's heartbeat. And the reason that's important, and I'm going to say this with all grace, this is all 
grace, and I'm with you. But when we think about some of the obstacles when it, that come with advancing the gospel, there's language, there's uh, social hostility, there's physical remoteness, there's uh, oppressive governments. But probably the number one thing that prevents the gospel from going forth is Christians. Sometimes we become the barrier to the gospel going forth. And probably the number one thing that I feel like people think when they hear a sermon on missions is like, Pastor, please don't make me go. Please don't make me go to China. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to India. I don't want to deal with that. Please don't make me go. And it's true. God may not be calling you to go overseas. But God does call you to cross the street. And God may not call you to learn a language, but he does call you to cross the political aisle. You see, when Jesus talked to his disciples and he told them, go make disciples of all nations, that would have shocked the disciples. Because Jewish men don't hang out with Gentile people. And Jewish men certainly don't offer the hope of God to Gentile people. So when Jesus says, go to all nations, he's revealing God's heart for the world, but he's also revealing our own hearts and our own biases and our own prejudices against people who are not mirror images of us. See, this morning, God calls you to be a part of his movement. But by joining God's movement, in order to join God's movement, you have to cross a border. And your thought is, I have to cross a country's border, I have to cross the ocean, but in reality, probably the border that you need to cross is the one that you've built that insulates you from people who are different than you. Maybe that border for you this morning is racial, and you only hang out with people who are of a similar race to you. Or maybe for you that um, border is cultural, and, and you say, you know what, all of America should look just like this culture. I mean, what are these people doing with that culture? They should adopt our culture. Maybe for you this morning, the barrier that you put up, the border you put up is political. And you just hang out with people who share your political views, and everyone else is stupid, the enemy, the devil, I hate them, they're the enemy, we need to overcome them, we need to crush them. Maybe for you this morning, yours is political. And when it comes to your particular social cause or your particular worldview, I'm not saying that yours is particularly wrong or right. I'm not making that judgment call. I'm just saying that the cause of God is more important than our little cause. The cause of God in the world is more important than our little cause. And if you're going to wage a war, I wonder, are you going to wage a war for your political theology? Are you going to wage a war for the hearts of the people who oppose you politically? I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning, has your political rants on Facebook turned off people on your friends list for the gospel? And if so, was it worth it? This morning, God calls us to hold up his gospel to all people. And at some point, you have to decide what hill you're going to die on. Is it going to be a political hill? Is it going to be a social cause? Or is it going to be the gospel? And I don't know about you, but the only hill that I'm willing to die on is the gospel. 
And if I lose some political points because I associate with people who are different than me politically because I love them in the gospel, I'll take it. And if I lose a little bit of my own culture, and if I get a little bit uncomfortable because I'm getting around people who kind of speak differently than I do or have a different culture than I do, and if I do that in love and for the sake of the gospel, I'll take it. I'll gladly suffer. Joining God's movement requires you to cross a border. And we all have those borders and we all have those prejudices in our hearts. But when we look at the heartbeat of God, it's for all people. As we draw to a close this morning, I I do want to offer something very hopeful about missions. Because I I talk about these things and you feel the, maybe you feel some of the weight uh, of what it looks like for you uh, to do some of these things. You're like, James, I can never go overseas. Uh, But the amazing thing this morning is that missions is not something that you do alone. You're not called to go overseas alone. You're not called to care about internationals and and people from different countries around you alone. You're not called to do it alone, and I'm not called to do it alone. But instead, God has given the responsibility to us as a church and to his church around the world. Say, James, how do I become someone who's sort of a Great Commission Christian, who who cares about what God is doing around the world. And as we end our Great Commission series this morning, I think one of the easiest ways that you can do that is to be doing all the things that we've talked about over the past few weeks. Being someone who invites others into the kingdom of God, regardless of whether they're a co-worker that annoys you or whether they're part of your family. I think becoming a Great Commission Christian means gathering with the church, which is the most diverse place in the world. And don't let culture hijack diversity. This is the most diverse place in the world. Becoming a Great Commission Christian means gathering in small groups with people who think differently than you do and have different perspectives, but who are learning from Jesus just like you. Of course, great prayer, going to the Lord and saying, God, open my heart to these things. Open my heart to your heartbeat for the world. Of course, participating in events that we offer as a church. Coming up in December, we're going to have our Night for the Nations, and we have this every year. And it's just a time where we learn about some of these countries of the world and a time where we pray for them and a time that we get out of our box and get out of our neighborhood and get out of our shell and begin to think about other people. And yes, God may call you to go to that. We're going to have our missions offering coming up here in December in which we raise money for missionaries across the world and raise money for our own missions effort. And yes, God may call you to give to that. And of course, we're planning mission trips in the future in different ways that we can be involved in the global task. And yes, God may call you to be a part of that. One thing I love about our church is that we are rapidly becoming a global church. And I was thinking even this morning of how in our church that I know of, we have people from Mexico, people from Canada, people from Cameroon, England, uh, Colombia, Nigeria, and those are just the people that I know about. In this church, in this corner of White Oak Baptist Church, in this corner of Milwee and Mangum, we have a global church. And we celebrate that because God celebrates that. 
And that's our vision because that's God's vision. And God invites you into that vision to lay down borders, to lay down barriers, to embrace a global vision of the gospel. So I'm going to pray for us right now that God would enlarge our hearts, enlarge our minds, and help us to be a part of this great work, this great cause in the world. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for inviting me into the kingdom of God. And I thank you so much for inviting the people in this room into your kingdom. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enlarge our heart. That we might look at people the way you look at people. That we might look across the political aisle and see people whom you love. And that we might look across the street to people who look different than us and that we might see people who you love and who you're inviting in your kingdom. I thank you, Lord, for the diversity of the church. I thank you for all the cultures that will be represented in heaven, Lord. I love how we're not going to be homogenous. I love how we're going to be diverse but unified under your banner and your glory. Lastly, Lord, I just pray that you would enlarge our hearts, Lord, when we think about people overseas, that we might find our little part in your great mission, and that we might join with the church to do this great work. We love love you, Lord, and it's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray.